And welcome and thank you for downloading the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast. The podcast that takes you from Tokyo to Seattle and all points throughout history in the world of professional wrestling. My name is Jim Valley, longtime wrestling fan and a longtime reporter. And we go all the way across the Pacific Rim, the Pacific Ocean to Tokyo, Japan, and legendary journalist and historian Fumi Saito. Hello, how are you? Great. So, Fumi, uh, first of all, yes. I guess we got to thank everybody because the numbers just keep growing for the podcast. So that is fantastic. Oh, wonderful. Love, you know, we're seeing a lot more interaction on social. We're seeing more people share the podcast. So thank you for that. Uh-huh. I'm getting a lot of great feedback that you've probably seen on Twitter as well. So that's great. Thank you to everybody. Uh, if you do listen yes, to the show. Thank you, people. Yeah, if you do listen to the show, let us know. Let us know either on uh, Twitter at Fumihiko Dio or let me know at Jim Valley. Also, and how far we get. We'll find out what happens, yeah. Yes. So far, so far, the United yeah. St- we were listened to the most in the United States, followed okay. by Canada, then Japan, and then Great Britain. Great Britain, okay. Yeah. yeah what are the other countries? Ah, uh, gosh, I don't have them in front of me. I'd have to... Those yeah, are, I those saw, are like yeah, the big like five. Netherlands and... Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's Netherlands yeah. and there's... So we appreciate all the people living, uh, listening around the world. That's it's it's an amazing time that we can do this. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. You and I just talking here on Facebook Messenger, and we record this, yeah. and then we send it out all over the world. It's an amazing time to be. Wow. Alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Isn't that anyway, crazy? Yes. Yes. Anyway, but if you do, if you we, hear this week, show, if you do hear the show, uh, let us know. We'd uh, love to get feedback, and it's been great so far. So thank you. Very much appreciate it. But really, I think this week, the big news that everyone wants to know is, how was your Thanksgiving turkey dinner in Tokyo? (laughs) Thanksgiving was good. Good, good. Had had Thanksgiving dinner in Roppongi, downtown Roppongi in Tokyo. And uh, Cody Hall and I had Thanksgiving together this year. Now, who's Cody Hall? Cody Hall is a uh, wrestling noir. Okay. He's the son of Scott Hall, right? Who lives in Japan. And how's he doing? I think I think he was more high profile. Uh, is he is he uh, just kind of getting down and uh, working hard and uh, kind of you know working on his craft and everything? Mm-hmm. And also, originally he went uh, went through New Japan Dojo, then uh, pretty much graduated from New Japan do- Dojo, and he worked there two years, but he switched his affiliate to Pro Wrestling Noah locally. Does it like a local wrestler, like almost, you know? While he's living, living in Japan, you know, he was, yeah, he wanted to do more, I guess, because New Japan is so full, you know? That you have 50 wrestlers on, in the main roster, and usually you have 40 to 50 wrestlers on single card, and uh, yeah, he uh, he felt that uh, he should work someplace else and be on his own. And wrestling Noah was perfect place. Right now, yes. So speaking of pro wrestling Noah, there have been a couple yes. of things going on with uh, Noah. For example, the uh, GHC heavyweight champion. Uh, I guess he used to be in the American Wolves. I don't think they exist anymore. But Eddie Edwards, how is Eddie, Eddie Edwards. Edwards doing? As uh, as GHC champion, he was um, they 
well, the company too, but the Japanese fans and especially Pro Wrestling No fans treating him as one of theirs. See, um, yeah, because uh, he came in as rookie and he has, you know, started from like a mid card onto, you know, main event level and uh, works real well against people like Marufuji and. Uh, you know, Shiozaki, and uh, they really click in the ring. And also, isn't there a NOAA card that's coming up that's going to be the retirement? December 22nd. The Great Kabuki. Legendary Great great Kabuki's. Yeah, actually, he's a freelancer, you know, a legend. You know, but uh, he choose Pro Wrestling No Ring to have his retirement show. Is there a reason for that? Oh, I go well, basically pro wrestling. No, is Jan Baba's all Japan pro wrestling descent. It's like, yes, all Japan pro wrestling exists still today, but pro wrestling. No, is the one who came out of Jan Baba school. And yes, that great Kabuki was all Japan superstar during 80s and 90s. So I think this is the right place to have retirement show. Of course, a lot of people from the United States who are listening will remember the great Kabuki and Jim Crockett from promotions Dallas. and Dallas. Jim Crockett from Atlanta. And, and uh, all over the Florida, a bunch of places. Yes, yes. So he's the same guy. Yep. He's been wrestling a long time. About, yeah, about 50 years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, was he I, the, the one the, thing? Yeah. He wasn't always the great Kabuki, though, was he? No, he started out as a. a Akihisa Takachiho, you know, and uh, he went to Mr. Sato in Florida and Yoshino Sato, a uh, second version, but the Yoshino Sato in Indianapolis, place like that. And uh, Great Kabuki was actually um, Fritz von Erich creation. As a matter of fact, it's Bruiser Brody creation, along with Gary Hart. Yeah, Gary Hart in his book takes a lot of credit for for Great Kabuki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While he see Takachiho himself, his real name is Mera Akihisa Mera. While he was working Kansas territory, got a phone call from Bruiser Brody. Bolivia was sometimes there in 1980 or 1981. That he got a phone call from Bruiser Brody. They're looking for a Japanese wrestler, in, and then he want the main event guy in Dallas. And uh, they needed something new, and Gary Hart, Bruiser Brody came up with the idea, um, something like really crazy. But uh, like a, when you say Kabuki, um, that can be bicycle's name or Japanese traditional theater or sometimes dog's name, you know. But uh, Kabuki is a term that the American people would know. It's a traditional Japanese theater, in a, the- in a Kabuki theater. And uh, after, you know, the name came up, Kabuki himself came up with his costume, that the face paint, um, all those, yeah, crazy gimmick. And uh, I believe he's the first one to you know, blow mist, you know, from his mouth. Red mist, green mist. Um, after, you know, decades after, great, you know, great Muta or people like Tajiri, they were, you know, blowing mist on out of your mouth, right? Original one was created by Great Kabuki. 
and also uh, the, the move that uh, now they call Sweet Chin Music or Super Kick, Greg Kabuki was the first one to do so. Thrust Kick. Did you know that? I did not know that. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I trust your knowledge. I'm actually surprised that the sidekick like that, that standing sidekick, is so mm-hmm. recent. I would have guessed it went back even farther, but I'm sure you're right. Oh, I'd say he was the first one to use that as finish. And in Dallas, um, Chris Adams adapted as same move as super kick. A couple years after that. Then it became, later on, became super kick and switching music and all those things. And now it's everybody's move. Now, he had a really long career in the United States. Did he just like it mm-hmm. here, or was it just because he was on top and making good money? I guess, you know, there are a type of Japanese wrestlers that who wants to go home and be star. And there are another type of wrestlers, you know, who come to States, but uh, he finds his niche or something and decided to have a long career in, in, in America. Like, you know, Hiro Matsuda, who lived there, and, you know, he, he spent the rest of his life. Um, Masa Saito, Kendo Nagasaki, Killer Khan, those are the people who have a real long career in America. See, Jan Baba, Antonio Inoki had, you know, three-year tours, you know, here and there, but they eventually went home to become a star. Whereas some wrestlers say, well, this is where I'm going to be. Tajiri was like that recently. And Shinsuke Nakamura, he will be in America for a long time. So how big of a star was Takachiko before he became great? Takachiko, yeah. Yeah, how big of a star? He was a promising, promising rookie um, in mid-60s. And he was sent to be seasoned veteran. But he said that the, I guess he decided to stay instead of coming back. Um, I'd say around the same time, people like, you know, Seiji Sakaguchi and other people were to be sent home and be star back in Japan. But uh, Takachiho said, I want to be here, I guess. And uh, some see, some people are like that. Some people are to go home, you know. Just like a major league baseball players, the Ichiro, you know, come over, and he, he wasn't Hideo Nomo. He wasn't gonna just play a few years and go home. He wanted to finish his career there. So it's just different individual, I believe. Now, when he came back to Japan as the Great Kabuki, was it acknowledged who he it was? was? A hit. Or, yeah, but yes, was, yes, he was acknowledged. So he didn't come back as a completely different person. And usually when, when those, you know, like a strong, you know, Oriental Japanese gimmick was only worked in America and a lot of wrestlers came home and went back to who he was before. But uh, Great Kabuki came, came back to Japan as Great Kabuki. And it was a yeah. big hit. Yeah, um, he believed, uh, we believed that, that that's what made him main band star. See, Takachiho was a very good wrestler, but more no fringe guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Very good mid card wrestler with like no strong character or gimmick. You know, 
But uh, yeah, he came back with long hair, the full costume and everything, and Giant Baba put him in the main event position. He had a match against Ric Flair in Japan, title match. And uh, yeah, he himself admit that um, it was good that uh, the great Kabuki made him main event star. Right when right when he went to Dallas, not a mid card, he was wrestling Fritz von Erich in the main event. So he was happy that, that this is something made him star. What do you think was the uh, highlight of his career in Japan? When people oh. think of the great Kabuki, what do they think of? Wow, that got a few because um, hmm, he had a long career though, you know. Yeah. Coming back from America, and he had, you know, NWA World Title match against Ric Flair in Japan as a main event. It's um, that was his very early highlight. Also, he was when Ricky Choshu and all his, you know that the Ishingun team, 15 of them all migrated from New Japan into Old Japan, like your promotion against promotion program. It's always hot, right? You know, it's a big business. That uh, Greg Kabuki was in Giant Baba's Old Japan side defending his company, along with people like Jumbo Tsuru and Tenru as Babyface and uh, Misawa's version of Tiger Mask. He was in the old Japan side. He, he, his gimmick probably looks like heel, but he was in babyface side. And and Heisei Ishingun switched to SWS, back to you know independent scene, or he helped build IWA Japan. You know, yeah, he had a very very long career, so I couldn't really point out one or two. You know, he like I said, he's been wrestling about fifty or close to fifty years. One of the things I've noticed when you look through some of his record, particularly on some of the larger cards, is mm -hmm. that he was the guy that was often called on to wrestle Americans who weren't adept in a Japanese style. Right, like just like we talked in couple, you know, a couple of weeks ago, when Jerry Lado and Jimmy Valiant came, he was handpicked to be their opponent because he knows how to work the style. And he'd been in Memphis. He did in Memphis, yeah. I probably, yeah. He probably went all the territories, all the territories when there were such, you know, probably new fans or the today's wrestling fan don't know what territories are, because basically WWF, WWE destroyed the territories. You know, they well, went national. I think, you know, I think yes and no. I think if you yeah. look. At the world today, everything is run by large corporations. Sure, Everything sure. is a conglomerate. You know, Walmart took out the little stores. Oh. iTunes took out the record stores. Back in the day, mm -hmm. Blockbuster took out the small video stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, now we're seeing Amazon. Um, you know, it, it was just wrestling is not in a bubble. So I think that it was going to happen. And Vince was the guy who did it. But I mean, right, right, right. It was, it was. Yeah, I, I said destroy, but no, from traditional meaning of like a wrestling term. But yes. yes, it was going to happen. If it wasn't for Vince McMahon, somebody else would have done it. But I think it's important to know that it's people say, "Oh, was it like an independent?" And no, it wasn't an independent because no, no, it was fairly big in, on, on their own right. 
Well, you know, for example, I grew up watching Dono and Portland wrestling. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. before I got the magazines, you know, that yes. was like the big stars. You know, Roddy Piper was a big star, and the Pacific yes. Northwest Championship was important, and fighting over Playboy the Buddy team. Rose was big. Playboy Buddy Rose and Ed Wyskowski came in with the with the uh, San Francisco World Tag Team titles, and yes. you know, we believed they were the best tag team in the world. Uh, you know, you were in Minnesota, and uh, the you world... watch them on TV every week, right? Uh, Vern Gagne. Was... Yeah, if you lived in the world yeah, champion. if you lived in Minnesota, AWA was the only thing. Yeah, and he was yes. your world champion, and he was the world champion to you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Winkle was yes, in, in Japan, big company too. You know, two big companies, All Japan, Jan Baba, Antonio Inoki's New Japan, two different channels, but. It coexisted, but none of the independents, you know. But yes, it was uh, pretty local, though, you know. But uh, yes, you believed that what you were watching was it. You know, um, yes. there's been a lot of retirements lately. Uh, we are in mm-hmm. a retirement phase right now. It seems each week on this show, we've talked about somebody's retirement. So keep it here for okay. the latest on uh, on Japanese retirements. <clears throat> One of the things I wanted to mention, I want to touch base back on uh, Thanksgiving. Um, yes. Th- one of the things I thought was funny when you posted the picture of your your turkey dinner, your plate. <laughs> yes. Um, was Reggie Bennett. I ate that. Reggie Bennett, mm-hmm. the uh, former woman. She was part of, I think, POW and a few other independents, women promotions. LPWA, LPWA yes. in the United mm-hmm. States and North America, but then mm-hmm. uh, really kind of made a name for herself in Japan. Um, yeah, on and off for 14 years in Japan. She, I thought it was funny how uh, she asked if you were at the Hard Rock, and you had a pretty funny story about uh, when she ordered turkey at the Hard Rock. Yeah, they brought a wild turkey on the rock. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I'll take it. And she still believed that the turkey dinner was coming. Say uh, 20 minutes later, another waitress came in and said, oh, last, last call, last call. So, we haven't got our dinner. You got you, you know, what you ordered. Wild turkey on the rock. No, she wanted turkey dinner, you idiot. Eh? <laughs> that was it. So that was just a good old day thing. That's pretty funny. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah, so she posted. Yeah, I was yeah. really happy. Yeah, that was funny. Yes. Um, you know, we talked about kind of a, the the Thanksgiving as we just wrapped up Thanksgiving, um, and we yes. obviously had to. You saw some Thanksgiving cards in the AWA. In AWA, yeah. Now, mm-hmm. every year, every year, they had traditional. Yeah, it's another territorial thing that the, um, on Thanksgiving night was traditionally like a wrestling night that uh, you take your family, you know, to you know your local wrestling card. And uh, well, Starcade was created on Thanksgiving night. Remember, original, th- you know, Starcade. Yeah, yeah. So I believe, yeah. And then Thanksgiving night, Thursday night, Survivor Series was created thirty years ago. So thirty years ago now. So they're Survivor doing Survivor Series. Yeah, and uh, they're yeah. also doing WWE brought back Starcade, and I bet. Um, I know that I caught you early, so I don't know that you've seen the results, but um, at Starcade at uh, Greensboro Coliseum, uh, Ricky yes. Steamboat got into the ring and uh, kind of held hands and got a respectful bow from Shinsuke Nakamura. So maybe, uh-huh. maybe I guess symbolically, at least to the uh, Greensboro crowd, 
Uh, mm, you know, mm-hmm. he passed the dragon maybe on locally to, ah. uh, to Nakamura, perhaps. At least that could be the symbolism, maybe. Could be, could be, yes. But it only means that in for for the Greensboro audience. Yeah, yeah, but it's a nice yeah, thing to do. Yeah, that's I good, think. though. Yeah, that's yes, nice Yes, I think do. so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Make him the modern day dragon for the for that for that show. Ah, okay, okay, I get it. But, Very good. So, who did you see uh, in your Thanksgiving cards in the AWA? Oh, there were still Hulk Hogan was working for WWE, you know, AWA. Of course, Nick Barquinko, um High Flyers, Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne. You had Jesse Ventura, the, sometimes Adrian Adonis. Old but still active, uh, Baron Von Raschke, Mad Dog Vashon, the, um, were the you Crusher. There? Were you there for Hulk Hogan's run? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly, I was there. I was in college, yeah. You know, uh, I don't remember if we had Thanksgiving cards in Portland. If I were to guess... I would guess that they probably did the Thanksgiving card probably somewhere else, like Salem or something like that. That's my guess. Oh, Eugene or somewhere, Eugene yeah. or something like that. Yeah, that's mm-hmm, somewhere on mm-hmm. the tour. That's my mm-hmm. guess, because I know they did, like, Tuesday okay. Portland specials and things. But, yeah, I'd be right, surprised. Right. I'd be surprised if they did a, a Thanksgiving card on Portland. But, but again, I could be wrong. Ah, yeah, but Thanksgiving was traditionally wrestling night. Yeah. That's what I was saying. And the traditional... Uh, that that tradition was took, you know, taken, you know, into bigger production, and uh, I believe that's how they created Survivor Series. Yeah, you know, it's fun to watch uh, those old cards. It's like every year I kind of break out the uh, the Survivor Series and and watch, and you know, the Survivor Series. You know, I yeah. always liked the the elimination matches. I always thought those were those yeah, were five against fun. five, four yeah. against four. Or five team against five. Yeah, that is ridiculous. <laughs> but I mean, there's yeah, some... because so many guys standing on on, on apron and yeah. the ringside audience cannot watch, but nothing but their backs. <laughs> right. Well, and even the Irish whips. You know, you go into the ropes, and it's hard to do that because there's a guy standing Somebody's there. But he's standing there. Yeah, they got nowhere to go. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, but there's... it's. There was some Big cool production stuff. showcasing. Yeah, I mean, there's been some cool Starcade or Starcade Survivor Series events. I mean, they did the tournament for the title in '98, won mm. by The Rock. Uh, you know, there's been some really cool things as far mm-hmm. as as far as a lot of the, the 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 Survivor Series. I think they do a nice job. Yeah, and also Survivor Series was created among the the amongst the time that the WCW and WWF was going against each other. You know, one running pay-per-view and WCW running TBS, you know, um, Clash of Champions special and uh, or Starcade and it's going against each other on television. So that, that uh, it's like, it really shows what was happening at the time. Not a house show against house show, but TV show against TV show. Yes. What about uh, yes. Japan? Were there any other than uh, January 4th, which we're going to talk about here in a bit? Oh, okay, were okay. There, were there any other um, holiday traditions or any sort of uh, things that would be comparable to Thanksgiving, uh, wrestling on Thanksgiving in Japan? 
Uh, not a Thanksgiving, but see, school year starts in April instead of September. See, see school, you know, go, you know, go back to, you know, like a school is September in your country. In yeah. Japan, school year starts in cherry blossom, April. And April means singles tournament, traditionally. Ricky Dozen's World League, you know, New Japan's, you know, Madison Square Garden Series or IWGP tournament, um, all, um, all Japan's champion carnival. Now, the New Japan, I mean, today's New Japan have singles tournament. Uh, Wrestling Noah has singles tournament. And also in November to December tour, we have traditional tag team tournament. So season, you know, when that tag team tournament comes, that will be end of the year type of things. You have a feeling for it. Calendar year. Yeah. It's important in wrestling, you know, because you watch, you know, wrestling all year long and, you know, you have seasons feeding, you know, spring thing, singles tournament in fall to winter, you have tag team tournament, all those things. Well, you know, when I looked it up, I was surprised that, um, you know, I knew that they'd done shows the Tokyo Dome before, but I was surprised that the first January shows that had happened at the Tokyo Dome, the January 4th shows, with yeah. the WCW, uh, New Japan combined 1992. shows. Yeah, the, yes. uh, the, I guess here they're known as the super shows. Uh, I was surprised right. those were the first January 4th shows. I was I was kind of surprised to Up see that. Up until then, um, Tokyo Dome show was held in April or end of March. You know, like a school year, ending end of the school. Yeah, very first Tokyo Dome show, 1989, Inoki's show was April 24th at the Tokyo Dome. And the second one in 1990 was in February. And the third one was also 1991, Starcade in Tokyo Dome, March 21st, Tokyo Dome. That was Ric Flair against Fujinami's, you know, title change, which wasn't title change, but it looks like title change at the building kind of thing. In 92 on, it was January uh, 4th, yes. And every year since then. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah, Um, New Year, yeah, New New Year, you know, holidays are the biggest thing, just like your Christmas. So more people come on January 4th. So even though it's not January 4th, let's just just do it. um, Let's talk briefly about the first... WCW Super Show, um, the WCW New Japan Super Show, the first one that was held in March. Even though just 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 to tie, because we're going to do the three. Um, why don't we just do that? Um, so the first yeah. one is March twenty first. Yeah, Tokyo Dome ninety one Starcade in Tokyo Dome. Right. I remember seeing the clips on TV here in the United States and thinking they did a Starcade there. <laughs> yeah. Now was this promoted Japan, as, yeah. was this promoted as like the only Starcade that year in Japan or the first one or how did they promote Starcade in Japan to introduce Starcade uh um like a serious wrestling fan or more reading oriented wrestling fan knew about Starcade in America. November or December show from Major League WCW. And they made such a big deal out of, you know, um, New Japan signed, you know, friendship, you know, like, uh, you know, 
ally contract with WCW and they're bringing in people like you name it, Flair, the Sting, the Steiner Brothers, the you know all these you know, Ron Simmons, the Butchery, the Brian Pillman, the Z-Man. They brought in all those WCW headliners. And uh, yes, it was like okay, major league against major league. That's why they had the very first um, uh, 91 Starcade in Japan. The main event was Ric Flair against Fujinami, IWGP Heavyweight Champion against WCW NWA World Heavyweight Champion. At the time, they didn't really distinguish WCW Heavyweight Title, World Title, and NWA World Title. It was blur-ish, right? Wasn't it for a while? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the NWA meant a lot in Japan. It goes back to 1950s, you know, all the way back to Luthes. So winning, Fujinami winning that world title from Flair was such a big deal. He didn't win it, though, but uh, he made it look like he won. And if he were in the building. Yes. Did it still, is it something legendary today or have people kind of smartened up to what happened now? Um... Some people recognize, still recognize that as title change, and how, that's how you remember it. And smarter or more informed fan was that it was a controversy ending, and the title was held up. In America, title switch didn't even happen. So uh, it's okay. It all depends on how you remember it. You and know. did you guys get the uh, the the Super Brawl with uh, Flair and Fujinami in Japan? Were you guys aware? Yeah, of we that? had only on video, so okay. hardcore you know fan knew that somewhat somehow title the actual physical championship belt went back to Flair's waist, but uh, Fujinami was you know courageous enough to travel all the way to Florida all by himself and had and had title match, so it was good story on Fujinami's part. You know, he did his part, you know, although there was controversy ending to the title match, but Fujinami was willing to travel, you know, to, you know, Florida and had a single match once again. So it was good enough to end the program because all in all, I don't think people expected to have that title stay, you know, stay in Japan. You know what I'm saying? Well, why don't we run down the card a little bit? Some of the uh, yeah, some of the, some of the some of the matches. I'll do, I'll do just a few of the 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 mixed matches, the uh, ones for uh, New Japan versus WCW. But okay, at the time, yes. Yeah, yeah. Ninety-one uh, Starcade. Yeah, like for example, Scott Norton taking on the Equalizer, Dave Sullivan. A lot of people know him as Evad, but. He was in Portland. Equalizer, as, right, yeah, right. Yeah, he was he was in Portland as the equalizer. He was a big guy. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was the reaction to Scott Norton and the equalizer? Scott Norton, um, Japanese fans look at him as New Japan star. You know, so it was natural baby face. And equalizer, not just relatively, but completely unknown guy. So... He beat, you know, Scott Norton beat the guy in two minutes. So it was okay, you know, just another American newcomer. That was about it. I'm pretty sure um, they wrestled in Portland because they were there at the same time. Yeah, yeah. The dying days of Portland, I remember, so. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and there was an uh, important uh, in the promotional match Arn Anderson, Barry Windham going against Masa Saito and Masahiro Chono. And what was the perception and, of, of, of that match? Um, American Stars. See, Arn and Barry Windham, yes, he did have a few tours with All Japan previously, and he was a star, but not regular. And Arn Anderson, hardcore fans know. But he was star from really from another company, another country, and uh, they came in as star. And Arn Anderson beat Masasaito with his spine buster, signature spine buster. So he, they were put over. Was that a yeah. surprise? And uh, wasn't regular. Um, stars were treated as stars, so. Um, probably serious or smarter wrestling fan you American stars were going over on this one and the master took the fall right yeah so the other match uh, next is the Steiner brothers taking on uh, Hase uh, and Sasaki Sasuke, yes Kensuke Sasaki and Hase were the very favorite team but uh, yes this was Steiner brothers first appearance and uh we were told this team is very, very good. You know, Steiner Brothers. And actually, they were good. And they introduced a lot of double teaming, you know, moves. See, when we have Japanese wrestling, have a lot of tag team moves, you know, you know, double teaming moves, you know. So Steiner's introduced a lot of new moves that Japanese firm have never seen, you know. Um, Bodak uh, off the top rope, you know, whilst, you know, Scott Steiner has Kensuke Sasaki on his shoulder, like a piggyback, you know, on sh- shoulder. And Rick Steiner fly out of top rope to do those super, you know, Bodaks or Tequila shan- Sunrise moves, a lot, you know, Toyota Wheels, double teaming, a lot, a lot, a lot of new moves that uh, he, they introduced a lot of moves that Japanese fans have never seen, which was good. And Steiners became regular, um, like uh, regular comers over here after. You know, I always felt that in this era, in uh, maybe 89 to, to 90 something, that in the yeah. minds of a lot of hardcore fans uh, who followed WCW, mm-hmm. that the Steiners really kind of replaced the Road Warriors as far as that awesome, mm. strong style tag mm-hmm, team, mm-hmm. that badass tag team. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think that in the minds of Japanese fans after a few tours that the Steiner brothers replaced the Road Warriors, kind of like I feel they did here? Very similar, yes. Very similar. Yeah. Around the same age too, you know, Animal Hawk, Steiners, um, they were like same age group and uh, young back then. Yes, young and very athletic, on uh, no BS, just wrestling and spectacular moves. You know what I'm saying? No play. Now this isn't a uh, mixed match, but I do want to get the uh, your reaction and the crowd's reaction to El Gigante. Facing against Curtis Hughes. Hughes. Yeah, against Curtis Hughes. <laughs> uh, wow, I would say it was uh, attraction, you know? Um, but how how understanding was the crowd to uh, the limitations of El Gigante? Very limited, but, 
he was introduced as somebody who is taller than under the giant. In the larger than under the, the giant, it was thinner, but uh, really taller, somebody taller than under the giant. And uh, El Gigante, you spell it like a, the giant, right? Yeah. So he was well introduced, you know, that, right? Not supposed to be that great, you know, but, uh, and he won the match with Iron Crow or something and uh, wasn't so athletic or anything, but it was too two-minute match, so it was good entertainment. Not a main event, but it was okay. All right. Uh, Vader and Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Against... Butch Reed and Ron Simmons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, Bam Bam Bigelow and Vader, obviously favorite Japanese superstars. Going against athletic Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. And, uh, actually, match was not bad. And Vader beat Butch Reed, and they uh, they they were given 13 minutes, so not a two-minute match of El Gigante, or not another two-minute match with Scott Norton against Equalizer. That uh, they were given good 13, 14 minutes of it, so they treated this as a more serious side of the event, I think. Yeah. So what about Bam Bam Bigel and yeah. What about the Great Muda and Sting? Superstar match. Yes. And also there are videotape way before, you know, a few years, you know, from back, like your Starkid 89, you know, Sting, Flair, Luger, and Great Muta, four, right? Or that summer on, you know, Clash of Champions and all the TVs that the, we had Great Muta videotape. And the best opponent was Sting, and uh, they looked both superstars. They both had face paint and similar. And some fans wanted Great Muta and Sting would team up some, you know, at some point. But it was very first encounter. Great Muta should have single match with Sting. It was superstar match. Did Sting very do good more? Superstar match. Did Sting do more in Japan? Or Actually, he. Did he, he was. Yeah, well, yes and no, though, on this one, because Sting uh, told me once that uh, if he would come in and do a tour, like two weeks tour or so, and then have like, a, you know, seven to ten matches while he's in Japan, that he would perform better. But a lot of times Sting was brought in just for one show, like he comes in and stays maybe two to three days and have just one match, and trying to get over his jet lag and everything that uh, he it's impossible to have perfect match or something so we uh, talked about we talked about the great Muta sting the boss tried very hard yeah there was a main event it, th yeah. there was another match before flair against fujinami that was ricky choshu against tiger jit singh yes you know tiger jit singh may not be a superstar name in america but that guy is like your, um, wow, who would I say? See, Tiger Jit Singh, Antonio Inoki's biggest rival in the 70s, well into, you know, 80s. And that guy's a real, real big, huge superstar. And uh, Ricky Choshu is beating him for greatest 18 club championship belt, which they had created. Um, it was good to have there. 
So no, you know, yeah. Then Flair against Fujinami. Yeah, we've talked about Flair and Fujinami. So uh, let's yeah. jump ahead to the first ever January fourth show at the yes. Tokyo Dome. Uh, 1992. 1992. Um, yes. Super Show 2. It's called Super Warriors at the Tokyo Dome. Super Tokyo Warriors Dome. at in, in Tokyo Dome. Yes. Yeah. So obviously we had first, Americans again. The first one was a big success. So they brought uh, they brought the Americans back. Where you think that was obviously it sold out. So there was still an appetite to see this again. Yes, and they brought in slightly different, you know, the uh, wrestlers. This time it was not a Barry Windham and, and Arn Anderson. It was Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco. Okay. And Dusty Rose Sr. and Dusty Rose Jr. Not a gold dust, but American Dream Dusty Rose and his son, dressed just like his father. Yeah. So he was good. And Bill Kazmaier, maybe. Well, let's okay. Well, let's let's go back. Let's start with the. It's not the first match on the show, but it's the first uh, interpromotional match on the show. The Enforcers, as you mentioned, Arn Anderson and Larry Zbyszko uh-huh. against yeah. Ohara and Koshinaka. Ohara and Koshinaka, yes. So you have your typical Arn Anderson match, and they enjoy it because rhythm is different, and everybody knew Arn Anderson is somebody very special. And I think he had more more tour with Japan. He would have been a bigger star. You know, Japanese audience love Arn Anderson style wrestling. You know, what? he can wrestle, and uh, he does his nonverbal heel communication with fans. You know, with crowd. Just yeah, he has his audience in his you know in his hand. He really can manipulate. What about Larry Zabisco? Did he step it up? Same or way. Was he himself. He well, probably when you talk about Larry Zabisco, he gets out of ring and stares and walk around and talk, and he just takes five to ten minutes before you actually start wrestling, right? But he didn't do that. He had very good, like old-fashioned American heel type of moves, and I believe, yeah, I remember this was. I enjoyed it. Yeah, he was good. That the. Uh, Enforcers did what enforcers should done, you know, should do, and it looked good. An opponent, O'Hara and Koshinaka, obviously Americans were to go over. So then you mentioned yeah. Dusty and Dustin Rhodes taking on uh, Masa Saito, Masa Saito and Kim Dak. Very perfect opponent for seasoned veteran, you know, Masa Saito, Kim Dak, aka Tiger Chan Lee. Right. They all, you know, they both worked American style. They lived in America. He knows it all. And uh, it was comeback, you know, after, you know, probably a decade. That the American dream, Dusty Rose, making comeback to New Japan ring after a decade or so. And it was good. And Japanese fans, probably older fans, did not really expect Dusty Rose in his prime time. But it was good to, you know, bring his son and then, uh, you know, father is something pretty good in Japan. Did, uh, I mean, this has got to be one of the last matches of Dusty's career. So, you said, probably. yeah, it's really close. I know probably the, the, uh, was it the war games came after this, but this has got to be one of the last matches for sure. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, as a full-time wrestler, he yeah, this is one of the last things. Also, if you remember the long ramp, 
yeah. you know, the, the entrance. And when, when Dusty Rhodes saw that big, long ramp, he said, I could never walk that long, he said. Did he take, like, a, <laughs> did he have a cart for him or something? No, he, then he made him walk. Okay. Because <laughs> that's how wrestlers come in with music and your, you know, pyro work and, you know, all those lights and music and everything. That they, That's how you open a cart and then walk that long ramp of Tokyo Dome. And I said, holy cow, I, I couldn't get there. That's what Dusty Rose was saying. It was interesting. Another match which wasn't interpromotional, Tony Holm versus Scott Norton. Against? Yep, Scott okay. Norton against Tony Holm. A lot of people know Scott or Tony Holm as Ludwig Borga. Yeah, uh, but he was working pretty much full-time with New Japan at the time. Yeah, this is probably the peak of so his was career, hard. really. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. Yeah, and then Scott Norton against Tony Holm is like two, you know, not – exactly two tops but uh so you have bam bam bigelow or vader but uh these two you know who's going over was pretty important and they put tony home over on scott norton so he that obviously elevated him you know? were they building him up for a for a title shot he, or single program yeah yeah or a top cluster so the so uh, next match, single, yeah. Hashimoto against <laughs> Bill Kazmaier. Yeah, that sounds bad on paper. Wow. Yeah, right? uh, Hashimoto drew the short straw this night. Uh, yeah, yeah, Red. And uh, the Brain Buster, Vertical Suplex, you know, Pile Driver looking, you know, Suplex. And it was okay, you know. Bill Kazmaier, what do you expect from him? You know, you are not going to have a very good match. Now, Bill Kazmaier <laughs> made his name uh, very famous, very successful as a strongman in the strongman yeah. competitions. Did is was he known at all? Are the strongman competitions were I those ever a thing in Bill Japan? Kazmaier was. I think Bill Kazmaier was one of the candidates to be a regular in Japan. You know, see, um, Starcade is fine, WCW Superstar fine, but they are not going to be regular in Japanese ring. You know, you have to work like Vader, Bam Bam Bigelow, Scott Norton, Tony Holm. You have regular tours, you know. Um, You're going to be in Japan pretty much throughout the year. And uh, you need Americans who work full-time, you know. Then Bill Kazmaier was one of the candidates. Bring him in and see how he, you know, how he works, if he can do it. We'll put him in the regular spot, which did not happen. You know what I'm saying? Vader against yeah. El Gigante. Uh, oh, sounds brutal. Yeah, a double disqualification. Vader doesn't uh, even get du- Yeah, over. like a double count out. Yeah. Double count out outside the ring. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a story, Vader. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't Vader's night, you know. If you think about Tokyo Dome match, and you talk about Vader, people will automatically associate, you know, this Tokyo Dome match of Vader with Stan Hansen single match a couple years back, right? Very serious, serious, you know, single match. But now El Gigante against Vader, I don't know why they put it, but uh, uh, to not to kill El Gigante's myth or something, they choose double count-up. But... You know, Japanese fans, you know, are a little smarter. And 
when two big guys go outside the ring, the minute they start fighting outside the ring, they ah, ah, no, ah. You know, you just knew it was going to be double count-up. Of course it's let down, but uh, how are you going to get out of it? Uh, that was just about the only thing. Right? That's the only way to end the match. Did uh, Not, did it yeah. hurt Vader and the fans Vader. in their eyes? Uh, I, something should be forgotten quickly. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> you Fair know? enough. Yeah, yeah. Then the next match was exactly what we were talking about. Sting and Great Muta teaming up, going against Steiners. You know, previous year, yeah. Great Muta and Sting had single match against each other. This time, they became, you know, tag team, very friendly tag team. Now, was Good, there same, any, was yeah, there any sort size. of angle? Was there any sort of story that brought them together for the fans, or they just said, "Hey, we're teaming up"? Uh, they just announced it. They just announced it. Sting coming in and teaming up with his old friend Great Muta because they people knew that they were opponent but they were in WCW same time and uh, both guys have you know not a similar but face paint uh, similar build same height and uh, yeah it's natural that they're both baby face right so yes it was natural to have great Muta and Sting teaming up together even without major angle it was okay Going going up against Steiners, it should be a very good match. Was it? I think it, yeah, I think it was Sting's one of the better match because it's working with some people that, that you were comfortable with. Another match on the show: Antonio Inoki against Hiroshi Hase. Uh, Hase, um, why didn't they give yeah. Inoki uh, an American star to go over? Oh wow! But he was a politician at the time. Remember? Oh, okay, you're Inoki right. only worked maybe two or three, yeah, two or three matches a year. Sure. And the Tokyo Dome was one of them. And Hase wanted to do this real bad. You know, his very career highlighting match to have single match. You know, against Antonio Antonio Inoki. You know, the most famous and most popular wrestler ever, right? And you want to have single match against him at the Tokyo Dome. And it will be written about. And we'll be talking about. Now what? Twenty five years later, we're still talking about it. They ran Nango though. Um first, you know, the match was um announced as Inoki against Tiger Jit Singh. So and they did the angle, had Hiroshi Hase fly all the way to Toronto, Canada, and they filmed it. That uh, Hiroshi Hase visited Tiger Jitsin's home and knock, knock, knock. Can you please give up the position and of just having single match against Anton Inoki so I can have single match against Inoki? And then they, they uh, that uh, Tiger Jitsin threw Hiroshi Hase into his pond or something. So they filmed it. So they ran an angle to create this single match. Yeah. And Hase didn't never had to win. Having single match against the real legend was the point. Yeah, it elevated he's him. He's happy. Because, yeah, he's elevated oh, to fight him on the show. Oh, very happy. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Single match against Inoki. In my mind, yeah. the most surprising 
um, yeah. outcome is Lex Luger defeating Chono. Ah, and then can you imagine? Like, could this be a good match or what? Not really. <laughs> um, Luger's first appearance with Japanese ring, you know, and uh, he didn't know much, you know, or he had to change what he do in the ring or what Japanese audience would expect or, you know, Japan is where you really have to have the match without content, you know. But uh, what John was there to put him over, huh? But it was title match, though. WCW World Heavyweight title champion Luger against challenger Chono. So, and Chono knew American style, too. And also, what's the point of beating Luger? Luger is type of wrestler who needed to be treated like Lex Luger. You know, and then otherwise, what's the point of even having him, you know, to have him on the card? Yeah. So after... Uh, but some new, for, yeah, oh, no. for new fans, yes. Luger looks like star. It's just that we don't enjoy his work. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for casual fan, he looks like another American superstar. So is the main event Ricky Choshu against Fujinami? Yeah, double title match, IWGP and Greatest 18 Club. Two single titles, and Choshu going over. It was okay. So explain for the... I don't think we did. We should probably explain the Greatest 18 Club. Greatest 18 Club championship belt was created um, for Antonio Inoki's 30 years in business kind of thing. Um, it was 1990, so two, two years before that. Uh, greatest 18, meaning that the greatest 18 wrestlers, you know, Inoki, the Andre the Giant, Stan Hansen, the um, Barquink, or the Johnny Valentine. This is, uh, I, I cannot count all 18 right now, but the 18 superstars' name were historical. Put on that belt and honored. And it created a championship belt, was given to Inoki in 1990. It, it, it was the one-time deal, but it became title. And uh, there, there were two championship titles. The funny thing is, though, after a few years, this Greatest 18 Club championship belt was forgotten completely. <laughs> and they didn't even explain that much about it. But at the time, there were two singles belt: Greatest 18 Club, Inoki's Blessing, and IWGP title, the, the undisputed war title. But this is, this is not saying that you have two undisputed war titles in one company or something. It's okay. It's wrestling. <laughs> you know? They even do it in Japan. Who knew? <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it's another championship belt. But Greatest 18 Club was a big deal, and IWGP World title was always a big deal. And so, Riki Choshu mm -hmm. against Fujinami, so it was climaxing their rivalry too. So the last one we'll talk about today is the uh, yeah. New Japan Super so sh Super Show number three, known as Fantastic Story in Tokyo Dome. So after the the first the ever show next year, yeah, well, let's talk about this. Ninety three, you're talking about? Yeah, but before we get into ninety three, the ninety two show, the first ever January fourth show, was yeah, it, such yeah. a, it was such a success that they decided to do it annually. It is was it an immediate? I think so. Yeah. Immediate decision. It, 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 yeah, they announced it at the building. Next year, you know, ring announcer Tanaka, 
next year, same day, same place, January 4th of next year, we'll, we'll, we will be back at Talk Tokyo Dome. They popped. I popped. Yeah. So it became tradition. Yes. Yeah, they announced it, though, at the, right at the buildings, like one year from now, we will be back in Tokyo Dome. So, yeah. So they were planning on that. So generally speaking, how do you think up to this point WCW wrestlers were perceived? Were they were they big stars? Were they a, a notch below New Japan? How do you think people saw them? Oh, major league superstars, yes. Yes. And at the time, w, WWE, WWF did not have TV in Japan and WWE did not come, you know, come in for their tours or anything. And WWF superstars were only to be seen in like our magazine every week. Magazine, no, not a video. And VHS video you can rent. No television. So it was kind of, you know, felt far away, you know. Not like today's WWE with WWE Network or streaming service or you can read about it on the internet or so. And then also they come in as live tour every year, every summer. But uh, at the time, WWE seemed pretty far away. And WCW was doing direct business with New Japan. And not only this Tokyo Dome thing, but... Uh, WWE superstar make appearance like throughout the year, one or two. Sting come in the summer, or Steiner's, you know, Steiner brothers come one week tour, or see, it was more familiar with Japanese fans. They were, and uh, yeah, um, they were a little close to Japanese audience. And people liked Sting here very much. Sting of uh, first, uh, not the black and white Sting, but the, you know, your flashy version of Sting. Right. Spiked up here. The yeah. surfer Sting, I think people call him. Mm. Yes, yes, surfer Sting version. Very popular. He's like, he he looks like Star and works like Star. You know, may not be the best worker, but, you know, something about him. Yes, he looks like Superstar. And Flair, yes, champion. Well, yeah, let's talk about um, Next some, one. Of the, some of the key matches. Yeah, like, for example, it was Liger against the Ultimo Dragon for the IWP, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. You are talking about 1993, second annual January 4th show. Fantastic Correct. story in Tokyo Dome. Yes. Correct. Liger against Ultimo Dragon, yes. Um, yeah. Two top junior heavyweight superstars, yes. And Liger went over. But it was like any given night, Ultimate Dragon can you know, go over on Liger too. They were two superstars. Yeah. We'll talk about Ultimate Dragon uh, some other time. I'm fas fascinated by oh, Ultimate yes. Dragon. He's one of my oh, yes. favorites. But we'll, we'll yeah, do because, that. Yeah, just to cover a little bit, in 1987... Ultimate Dragon did not make New Japan uh, school. He went through dojo training and everything, but they didn't let him debut because he was too short. Isn't that a crazy story or what? You know, the later on, how he became big, one of the biggest superstars in Lucha Libre history, but the New Japan did not let him debut. 
Well, let's uh, let's flag that, and we'll come back maybe in the new yeah, year. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we have to talk about Ultimate Dragon. Talk about yeah. Ultimate Dragon. Because he opened up the door to smaller guys. Yeah, and no, made the whole new genre. He's one of my all-time favorites, definitely. Oh, good. Okay, let's do that some other time. I love Ultimo Dragon. <laughs> uh, Ron yeah. Simmons in... Uh, Against Tony Holm? Tony, Tony Holm and, and How the Mighty Have Fallen. Tony Holm <laughs> last year at uh, Tokyo Dome defeats Scott Norton, and here he loses to an outsider, Ron Simmons. I have no idea, really. And, uh, you know... Um, but I guess Sick, Ron Simmons I, had just lost the WCW title. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't want to sound heel on this, but uh, the Tokyo Dome show is like a, you, you, a four-hour show with no intermission. And I think people have to choose your own bathroom time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I understand what ba- you're saying. Yeah, bathroom break. You know, cause people, people have to because... Uh, during this match, I got to go to the bathroom, you know, because I think people pick, you know, certain match to be your own bathroom break. Let me ask you this. <sighs> Do uh, yeah. the people in charge book matches and put certain matches in certain spots anticipating when people might want a bathroom break? <laughs> they should never say that though, publicly. Right. You know, they might, but... you know. Yeah, but if I have got feeling know, they might. You would know. Yeah, just then I'm not going to, you know, publicly admit that though. But uh, I have a feeling that uh, during this match, people may go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know. All right, let's move on. Horrible. The, uh, Horrible the next, idea. Uh, tag team match. Sting against Hase. Uh, no, the next one I have is uh, Saito and Hashimoto against Scott Norton and Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. Yeah. And Hashimoto and Masa Saito going over yeah. on Dusty Rose Jr. Because you're going to protect Scott Norton. So that's yeah. what he, he was called, Dusty Rhodes Jr. in Japan? Yeah, yeah. And he dressed like Dusty Rhodes Jr. with, you know, your cowboy hat, look, I mean, uh, cowboy boots looking ring boots and short trunks and a bandana around his neck and blonde hair. And he does elbow. So you in the same face, right? Just younger version of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. So it was pre pre Gold Dust era. So he was working as Dusty Rhodes Junior. You know, people like Junior here. You know, even though it's not a uh, inter inter promotional match, let's still talk about it. The Great Muda. <laughs> The IWGP champion taking on Masahiro Chono, who was the NWA champion at this time. Yeah, there was a sting against Hase, though, one before no, that. I think, I, oh, did it come? I've got it on my list here that that comes up uh, in one more match. Oh, is that right? I, my list says like a fifth match. Okay, well, I believe yeah. you. Okay. Okay, Great Muta against Chono. Yeah. NWA world title and IWGP world title, both on the line. And Great Muta went over and became double champion, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, and defended his uh, IWGP Heavyweight title. Now, was he Great Muta here, or was he KG Muto? This was Great Muta version. It was Great Muta, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's both, yeah, it's like some, uh, even for me, it's hard to explain because he'd be Keiji Muto one day and he does great Muta another day and without explanation. 
only marketing idea or something, right? So I, uh, I'm with you. They don't really explain it. Everybody knows it's the same person doing two, you know, like a two characters, two identity, you know, two identities, and uh, it probably like doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it carefully. But uh, they were doing it at the time. So what about Sting and, and Hase? Guaranteed good match. I mean, Hase is you know, one of the best in the world right here. In the early 90s, he is one of the best. Bump taking, yes. Yeah, he's great. Selling. Yeah. And putting people over. It seems like he's one of the wrestlers that that didn't try to win. You know what I'm saying? Guaranteed always good match, right? But after all, after a while, people started noticing that, you know, his way of doing things because he's one of the top guys but not the top and he's guaranteed always have great match and never wins <laughs> you know what i'm saying there's he, a pattern to it and didn't yeah. he book for a while and never put himself over right he was assistant booker under ricky choshu and probably this era too yeah so it's like probably like a stings when they were putting the card together, stings, stings. He probably said, I'll do it, you know. And uh, he knew he was one of the very few wrestlers to have great match against Sting in single match situ- situation. All right, before we get to the tag team match, let's touch briefly oh, on Fujinami versus Ishikawa. Yeah, inter-promotion match. Ishikawa is not good, almost good enough opponent, huh? That's what, yeah, I'm For, surprised by this. This doesn't seem like, never it seems was, like a Tokyo Dome match. Yeah, Fujinami himself had trouble with that too. You know, but it was New Japan against WAR era. See, Tenru's company, WAR. Yeah. You have single match Tenru against Choshi on top. Who could Fujinami have? Number two guy of WAR which was Ishikawa, right underneath, right underneath Tenru at the time. Fujinami himself had trouble with that, to accept that, you know? Next yeah. match, as you mentioned, uh, Tenru and Choshu. Tenru yeah, goes over. Climax, their rivalry match, and Tenru going over this year. Yeah. But we got to remember, Choshu and Tenru will have 50 other single matches in their <laughs> career. Yeah. Yeah? So it was Flair against, let's say, Flair against Luga or Flair against Sting or Flair against even Nakira Kola for somebody like that. You, they got a few dozen single matches on their belt, just under belt. This, it's one of the matches. The, to be honest with you, I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> you know? Well, I'm gonna, I mean, I'm I've gonna watched it. I was there. Yeah, I was there and I watched it and I see the result now is the the record say 18 minutes, 14 seconds. So so they had a relatively long match, single match. And you remember Tenru's you know double, you know that uh that your your chops, you know? Backhand chop, you know Flair Tenru backhand chop. And I'm sure Ricky Choshu had doesn't close line in it, and I that's about the only thing I remember from the match. I myself have watched dozen single match of these two, and it pretty much looked the same, <laughs> you know. Well, let's wrap. Oh, it's good match though. 
Yes. Let's wrap it up oh, with uh, the Hellraisers, Hawk. Yes. And uh, Power, Power Warrior. Power Warrior. So yeah, Kisaseki as Power Warrior going against Steiner Brothers. So let's talk about this real quick. Talk about the formation of the Hellraisers. Oh, Hellraisers. Oh, it was brilliant, brilliant idea of Master Saito. Uh, to elevate, there were, you know, there were two reasons, you know, to elevate, elevate Kensuke Sasaki to the top position. There were three main event guys at the time: Muto, Chono, and Hashimoto. These, these three are called three Musketeers, three main event. Oh, to, uh, of course, you you have Inoki on top of the pyramid but he's older guy and he's a politician and, and, and he doesn't work full time so leave him out and Riki Choshu and Tatsumi Fujinami two legends already those two work too but the regular tour all or you know throughout the year three main main event guys Keiji Muto Masa Chono and Shinya Hashimoto those were three main main event Japanese guy and you had Hase and Kensuke Sasaki and Booker, uh, one of the Bookers, B- Masa Saito, he was going to elevate Kensuke Sasaki at the time. And the end of the, uh, was it a 91 or two when Hawk Warrior left uh, London tour during the- 92. You know, 92 tour, yes. So it was the, the previous year then. He left, right? And the animal was going to, collect his uh, Lloyd's London insurance because of his hip injuries, you know, or tailbone injuries. And Hawk did not want to work WWF any longer, and he just left, right? Then he came back to Minnesota, and he said he was going to take time off. And the animal was going to take time off too. And uh, no more Legion of Doom, huh? Then Masa Saito and Brad Reagans got together and had a meeting with Hawk in Minneapolis. Would you work full time with see, while Animal was out? You know, and then he, all in all, that the, maybe at the time Animal thought he was gonna really retire because of his tailbone, you know, injury, and he couldn't work. And he was collecting loads of London in, injuries, so you're not supposed to be working anyhow. But uh, Hawk came back to Minneapolis, and he wanted to take time off. And wasn't going to retire, but wasn't going to um, form another Road Warriors or anything. See, WWE, WWF at the time was going to put um, people like Brian Adams, you know, Crush, you know, as a third member of Legion of Doom and all that, you know. And uh, the, the idea wasn't there. And uh, yeah, just uh, it was a time that Masa Saito and Brad Reagan and Hawks sit down. They had a serious meeting. Would you sign a contract with New Japan Pro Wrestling coming full-time? And our team, you know, I'll pair you up with younger wrestler, upcoming superstar, Kensuke Sasaki, and uh, do a Road Warrior character in Japan. And uh, the Hawks thought it was a great idea, but he did not want to use named the new road warriors or anything like that so they didn't they were formed as a tag team but didn't have the name first and in at the tokyo nightclub where hawk used to sit around and drink his drinks you know all by himself 
And do you remember Road Warriors theme music, Black Sabbath? Iron Man. Iron Man. Yep. Yeah. As a group, right? <clears throat> and when Black Sabbath was no longer and um, Ozzy Osbourne had single, right? Like he, single albums and he became singles in rock star. And he was, Hawk was listening to one of the Ozzy Osbourne albums. They were playing at, at the bar he was sitting. And that the music, Hellraiser, was playing. Who is this? Ozzy Osbourne? Ozzy Osbourne. And uh, what, what's, the, what's the name of the song? Hellraiser. Then something happened in his head. He said, Iron Man, Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne, and this song. You know what? I think we got a team. You got a team name. So the Hellraisers was created. Isn't that a good story? It is. It's an interesting story. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he's a rock and roll fan and uh, grew up listening to people like Black Sabbath. That's why they use the music. And uh, he is he became more of a veteran. And this time he's taking Japanese wrestler as his full-time tag team partner. And uh, this could be the stage where you elevate your tag team partner because of your superstar aura, like a superstar rub. And they created costume and uh, what do you call those spike costume? Hell, you know, shoulder pad thing? Yep. And then the costume looks just like Road Warriors, but Hawk did not want to be be called new Road Warriors or anything. It's just him and Animal. And it's just more of a promise in your heart that you'll never be Road Warriors, you know, with anybody else but your own partner. You know, they're friends, you know, like a serious friends. And uh, but he wanted to come in and uh, like a full time and uh, he will be a tag team guy. And then uh, Masa came up with such a great idea. Kensuke will be your partner with face paint. And same kind of costume. You work like road warriors. Great idea. And also Japanese fan, including myself, loved that idea. It's kind of like you have your major league rock and roll band, you know, you see, or anything like Aerosmith or anybody. They actually come into Japan and work full-time and take Japanese wrestler as your full-time tag team partner. That's the ultimate babyface thing to do, don't you think? No, absolutely. I mean, there was, so there was absolutely no backlash from fans. They were, auto, they were over immediately. Oh, loved Hawk. Yes. And uh, they loved Road Warriors, always did. And this guy actually come in and take Kensuke Sasaki as his partner. And uh, yeah, and then he instantly elevated Kensuke Sasaki, Power Warrior at the time, um, as a main event guy. They accepted that. And going, going up against people like Steiner Brothers, of course, that um, Kensuke Sasaki was equal to you know, level. Hawk, Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner. This is just, it was never like, not a less of a, you know, caliber star. It really elevated Kensuke Sasaki to that, you know, class. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they went to yeah. a double count out here. <laughs> yeah. But they worked good 15 minutes, though. Yeah. 
15 minutes of tag team and I mean and, and, and the double teaming and you know the creative real you know double moves not selling the power moves against each other or, or just very every spot they did was very good I believe I I watched this one from ringside um let me know obviously this is 93 um yeah. Steiners leave WCW and head to WWF in 1993. Shortly after. Yeah, shortly after. Yeah. Because they're yeah. at WrestleMania. Hey, yeah, Las Vegas yeah, that's in 93. Right. So did the Hellraisers and the Steiner Brothers ever cross paths again? I guess after this? Yeah. Probably not. I guess not. Yeah, you know what? A lot of people forget, <laughs> already forgot the time that the Steiner Brothers were actually in WWE. You know, because they went back to WCW, you know, a couple, three years later, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Steiners look like WCW guys. In For Japanese, you know, fans' eyes, yes. But, uh, yeah, Power Warrior, Hawk Warrior against Steiner Brothers were pretty much dream tag team at the time. And Steiners were a very believable tag team, no? Oh yeah, no, they were they were awesome. I mean, this is this is you know this is the peak of their of their peak, career. Yes. I think yeah. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you what was you you think it was just the cavalcade of stars and the cavalcade of these matches in 1993? What was the main event? What do you think drew the house in 1993? Wow, Tenru against Choshu was guaranteed main event. They come in like a senior superstars, huh? You know, Ricky Choshu representing New Japan and Tenru representing his own company, WAR. And Anthony Inoki come in with his suit and tie and say things to got two guys. And uh, you have this special match type of atmosphere. So I'd say, yeah, Ricky Choshu against Tenru was the obvious main event. Yeah, the Fujinami had to have you know, the second to top match, you know, against Ishikawa, but Fujinami did his best, uh, carry himself like a New Japan legend, yes. But but it wasn't what drew the crowd. Great Muta against Chono, title match against title match. It was very, um, yeah, for younger fans, that was the main event, it looked like. Yeah. And to so- me... Yeah, Hellraisers against Steiner Brothers were my main event. Well, of course, because you had your mullet and you probably had like a Megadeth t-shirt <laughs> on and your jeans jacket with the sleeves cut off. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Of course it's your main event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that team. Both teams. Yeah. And I wrote the story, you know, you know, we're doing special edition, we pro, you know, weekly pro wrestling always had special bonus issue just about this lineup, you know, Tokyo Dome match, they come out like five days later, like five day turnaround, you stay up all night and write the story, I would write this match. Yes. Well, let's um, let's stop it down here, and we'll go on. And we obviously can't go through every Tokyo Dome card the way. We oh, that's no, here. that's not. Yeah, we that's don't have enough possible, time. But we, we don't. Have yeah, time. yeah, we'll do that every week. Yes. But we will talk about different eras, some of the big matches, the main events, 
maybe some other interesting stories, things like that, and give you sort of an yes, overview. Yes, match. Yeah, Togodom yeah. card is like your WrestleMania. Yeah. So, so we'll talk yeah. about some of the eras of, uh, of different uh-huh. stars, different times when it drew, sure. different times when it didn't draw, what uh, kind of made it die, what brought it back, things like that as we get closer to uh, Wrestle Kingdom 12, January 4th, in the Tokyo Dome. So we'll do and that next And also, we won't, won't like, uh, but probably next week or two, we will know more details about Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega thing. Okay, another reason to keep yeah. it here. We'll have more news yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, very good. Hope people enjoyed it because we talked about things that are, what, 25 years ago, 24 years ago. Yeah, but it's a good know? idea to get the idea, you know, kind of know where it started and how it started and, and uh, okay. things like that, okay. some of the driving factors. All right. So until Very next good. time, be sure to follow us. Yeah. Follow Fumi on uh, Twitter at Fumi Hikodayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumi Hikodayo. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim Valley. Also, you can follow me on Facebook at Jim Valley. If we don't have a lot of the same friends, just send me a message. Tell me to make sure that you're not a webcam girl. And, uh, and <laughs> you know, because so many of those cam girls, so tired of the cam girls. But, uh, and then uh. you're on Facebook at Fumi Saito. Yes. All right, then. Well, uh, we will cover more history and talk about some more news as uh, the weeks go on and we get closer to January 4th. So until next time. So long from Tokyo.